0: Thank you for listening to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about this podcast, other resources, and our church, please visit us online. We hope that today's message will be an encouragement and a help as you grow in your walk with God. and our series, which is King of Heaven Come. And so uh, we're looking at, uh, we began last week looking at, it's a new series, and we were looking at the responses of people uh, when the Christ, when Jesus Christ came to this earth. And so we're looking at the way they responded, the way they uh, reacted when uh, Jesus, or the announcement of Jesus was given. So last week we looked at Zacharias, if you remember that, and we looked at how uh, announcement was made to him that he was going to be a father at a very old age. Remember that, it says he was well stricken in years, And uh, God says that you and your wife, who was barren, never had any children. You're going to have another child, if you can imagine, at their old age. And we saw Zacharias respond with a little bit of unbelief, didn't he? The first thing that he did, if you remember, the first thing that Zacharias said when he said that your wife's going to have a son and he's going to be the forerunner for the coming Christ, Zacharias immediately looked down at his own circumstances, looked at his own age, looked at his wife's age, be like, God, don't you know how old my wife is? You know, I don't, I don't know, hope he didn't say that. But you know, he, he recognized and he saw that there was a little bit of problems there. And so because of that, he was stricken with the inability to speak uh, for the nine months of that birth. and though God did. what he said he was going to do, what we learned last week was that often, like Zacharias, that's how we respond when it comes to times of faith. When God speaks to us, when he uh, comes to us and He encourages us, he leads us in certain directions, often what happens is we immediately look at our own circumstances, we look at those around us, and we say, God, it's not possible. And all that is is unbelief, church. That's all that it is. It's unbelief. And so that's how Zacharias responded to the news that he was going to be a father, that God was going to send this John the Baptist, the one who's going to be the forerunner uh, for Jesus Christ. And this morning as we return to Luke chapter 1, what we're going to see is uh, we're going to pick, off, pick up where we left off, first of all, and we're going to see another person get added into the Christmas story, a very famous character. You know her. You've probably heard of her before. Her name's Mary. How many of you heard of Mary before? All right, a few of you. Okay, good. Those of you who haven't, today you're going to be introduced to Mary, uh, which, uh, which she's kind of an important part of the Christmas story. And so we're going to see her response to the announcement of the coming King. So let's just get right into it with point number one this morning. You ready? You guys look like you're ready today. All right. Come on. Let's get a little energy this morning. We're ready to go. So number one, I think you already figured it out. An unexpected announcement. Let's look at that in Luke chapter one. I'm going to begin reading in verse 26 through 27. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named uh, Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was, say it with me, Mary. So this next announcement of the Christmas story that we see happens about six months later from where we had just been. And it takes place uh, about 150 kilometers north of where last week's story took place, which was, if you can see in the map here, a place called En Karim, which is just in the hill country outside of Jerusalem. And we go about 150 kilometers north up to Nazareth in an area called Galilee. And this announcement here is made to a young woman named Mary. Now verse number 27 tells us a lot about Mary. I'm going to bring that back up here so we can see. Pretty much it fills us in with everything that we need to know of where she is in life. Notice what it says there. She was a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So what do we learn from this verse here? We understand that Mary was uh, engaged to be married. Most likely, understanding the cultural, and the, uh, cultural uh, aspect of those days, we understand her to be probably a teenager. Just to be frank, she's probably 14 or 15 years old, maybe a little bit older than that, but that is a very common age that people would be engaged. And so we understand that she's engaged to be married, she's a spouse, and she's engaged to a guy by the name of Joseph, who was a carpenter, a home builder from Nazareth. Now Joseph was a descendant, we'll learn in other aspects of scripture. He was a descendant of the house of King David, which later on uh, we'll cover in detail, But right now, I want you to understand the importance of engagement in those times. She was engaged. Now, just recently, A young couple in our church got engaged, right? And it's awesome uh, to see, and and it's been exciting to see her flashing her bling around, you know, and you see that ring, it's kind of hard to focus when you're talking to her, it's so big, you know, and shiny and all of this. And and, uh, they recently got engaged, and engagement today is great, it's exciting, but it's definitely different than it was in Bible time some 2,000 years ago. Because, you know, honestly, if uh, she wanted the engagement to end, you know what would have to happen today? Okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to throw my ring. But all she got to do is take that ring, put it in an envelope, and throw it in his face. You know, be like, I'm done. And the engagement's over. Maybe some of you have experienced that or you've, you've had a situation like that. But in Bible times, it was not that way. When you got engaged, you were basically married. That's what it was. You were locked in. And so the only way you could get out of an engagement, in fact, was to have a bill of divorcement written for you. So to go through that process of divorce was the only way to get out of the engagement period. And typically the bill of divorce could only be given in the case of immorality. So there was something obviously wrong within that relationship. Once you were engaged, you continued to live with your parents separately for one year. And then after that one year was completed, typically the husband-to-be would be spending that one year building a home for his wife. I think that's pretty cool. I, I didn't get that opportunity, but he'd spend that time to you know prepare a home and be ready for his wife. And then they would move in together and off they go. So now imagine just for a moment, understand that. This is Mary, a young teenage girl. She's engaged to be married. I mean, she's locked in. This is what's going to happen. And so you can imagine... The impact that was about to happen in her life as we go into verse number 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and she cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Now, we don't understand or know the whole situation here. We don't know when this angel came to her, if she was sleeping or at work or whatever the situation was, but this angel comes and he tells her, he says, you are highly favored and you are blessed. And notice how she responds. In her mind, it says, it it sounds really great. She cast in her mind what manner of salutation this would be. In other words, she's basically like, what kind of greeting is that, you know? You ever have somebody you don't know, like, greet you in a very odd or weird way? It happens to me all the time, you know? It's like, you don't even know them. And it's just sort of this weird uh, way of greeting and that's basically what she was saying she's like okay that's an odd way to uh to to come and talk to me first of all that's just a weird way to come at me and to be honest when you consider her stage in life as a young we know in Nazareth she would have been uh, poor we know that she would have been uh, in difficult circumstances so for an angel to appear to her and say you are highly blessed and you are favored it's an interesting situation So why would the angel greet her in this way? Here's the question I want to ask as we get going this morning. Why was it that Mary was highly favored? Now, there are certain theologies that are out there and certain religions that believe and they teach, and maybe some of you have been a part of some of these before, but they teach that Mary was somehow this special individual, that there was something unique about her, maybe even something something divine about her. And so that's the explanation that they give. They say, well, Mary, she was this sort of you know, divinity and she had all of these unique things and therefore that's why she was considered special. And often these faiths place her on a pedestal and even pray to her and make her even bigger than God. But I want you to notice that the reaction that Mary has here kind of flies in the face of that opinion. Because notice here, she approaches this and the way that she responds is in humility and in honesty, you know, if she was a divine person somehow and had this divinity aspect, you think she'd be like, bro, Gabriel, it's about time you got here, right? I've been waiting for you to get here, and now you're finally here. But no, she responds in such a humble way. To me, this is a great example of how we need to respond when God speaks to us or when God gives us opportunities to serve, we should respond in this way. She's like, I don't, I don't know, fear and wonder is really what it was. Wow, God, you would want to use me. And so she responds in this very humble way, and at the same time, we understand that Gabriel is greeting her in a very specific, grace-filled way. What we are experiencing here, just in these verses, is God's face of approval, God smiling, if you want to put it that way, God smiling into the life of this young woman. And while we might be tempted to think that Zacharias was chosen because he was righteous and he was a priest, notice here the angel's greeting reveals she is chosen solely as a matter of God's grace. Because there's nothing unique or nothing special about her. She is just a normal person like you and I. That's all she is. She's a normal person from humble beginnings, and God's grace is being poured out upon her. In fact, the word that is translated favor for us here is the same word that we see translated as grace all throughout other aspects of the New Testament. It is undeserved favor. So what we're experiencing here is an intense moment of God's grace in the life of an individual. And I think it's important for us to remember that anytime God does a work in us, any anytime God speaks to us, that is a unique moment of grace. And so don't fear it. You know, sometimes we fear it, don't we? And God is speaking to us and God's leading us to maybe greater things or God's calling us to serve him in a unique way and we fear it and we're scared of it and we're like, I don't know if I want to do it. Listen, if God is working in your life, it is his grace upon your life and you should embrace it and accept it and be all in. That's really what it's all about here. And so he speaks to her and he's working in her life and there's this grace-filled moment, but now Gabriel gives her the extent of the good news. Look at verse 30 with me. So he says to her, fear not. That again speaks to her posture in this whole environment. Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. Okay, stop for a minute. You guys know this verse. You could probably quote it to me, right, Julius? You want to stand up and quote? No, don't do that. Let's stop for a minute. Okay, because I know you know this. I know you know this. So don't ignore it. You know what I'm saying? You already know where this is going, a lot of you. So let's, come on. Okay, you got it? understand i want you to understand the power of this think about what is happening here imagine yourself as some 14 year old kid in high school okay with no money to your name (laughs) and god comes and is about to tell you something incredible look at this fear not mary behold thou shalt conceive in thy womb verse 31 and bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name jesus he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. I mean, put yourself in Mary's shoes. Her mind, I didn't say shoe, shoes, sorry. Her mind is just racing at this, at this moment. She is going to be, if she's able to put the the dots together and connect what is happening here and understanding of prophecy, what she'd been taught from a little child, what she's going to understand is that she is going to be the mother of the promised Messiah, the one that had been promised to Eve in Genesis uh, chapter 3. Here we see that his name was going to be Jesus. That means Jehovah, God is salvation. And as Matthew's account tells us, he will save his people from their sins. It is important for us to note here very carefully that Gabriel is confirming two different important aspects of Jesus in this short phrase here. First of all, he is confirming both the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. Right here in this passage, as Mary's son, he's revealing to us that as Mary's son, he would be human. And as the son of the highest in verse 32, he would be the son of God. We see this in Isaiah's description of him in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where it says, For unto us a child is born, that's his humanity, unto us a son is given, that is his deity. See, this child would uh, come to earth to be the savior of the world, and uh, which is only possible if he is God in the flesh. And not only that, notice here in our passage, not only that, Jesus would one day be a king. One day he would inherit David's throne and he would fulfill the promises that God had made to the Jewish fathers and uh, uh, to the generations before. In these six statements here that the angel makes about Jesus Christ, three of them are about the Lord's first coming, those first three statements that are made. And the second three statements that are made speak specifically to his second coming. And so this announcement from the angel, I just covered it very briefly, but there's a lot packed into these verses right here. And, it, and this announcement kind of came all at once. You know? he, wasn't, he wasn't like, hey, uh, you're going to have a baby. Okay, I'll wait for a moment. You know? <laughs> while she like, while well, you figure it out. Okay, just wait. All right, now let me tell you this. He's going to be great. Okay, I'll wait for a moment. Okay, while you figure it out. While she, no, no, he just, he just dumps it all on her. He loads it all on here. here. And, uh, and, and as Mary is listening, I believe she's probably beginning uh, to figure out what is happening. But Mary has a big problem. She's got a big problem. All of this is great. All of this sounds amazing, uh, but she's got a big problem. And we see this in verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. Secondly, there's a valid question here. There's a valid question. She says, how shall this be? Now, I want you to understand something. Her response to Jesus or to the angel here is not A question of unbelief it's it's really not rather what it is is it is an expression of faith notice here she's not saying can you do it she's saying how will you do it you see that there she's not saying it's not possible there's no way that you can do this no she's saying how is this going to happen It already speaks to the faith that she has, and I think we see that as well. Gabriel doesn't rebuke her like he rebuked Zacharias. He just continues on to give her more of the information that is necessary. So what we understand here is that Mary here believed the promise, though she did not understand the performance. (laughs) How was it that she, and we know this from the previous verse, a virgin, how was it that she was going to Have and give birth to a child having never been with a man. You know, never done the thing that creates life. We're not going to dig into it. The kids are here today, all right? So I'll save that for you guys, you parents. (laughs) That's a valid question, isn't it? It is a valid question. And so the angel tells Mary that God's plan was to make this a reality and fulfill the prophecy made made by Isaiah some 750 years earlier in Isaiah 7, 14, it says, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign of the coming Messiah. What's the sign? A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So she brings up this valid question. Now we see the powerful answer. Look at verse 31 through verse 30, and then verse 35, we'll skip down to that. And behold, thou shall conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus And the angel answered. Look at verse 35. She says, how is this possible? How's this going to happen? The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing. Okay, there's some interesting and important details that we see in here. That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Think about it for a moment. To this young girl in a rural landscape. God reveals through Gabriel two of the greatest mysteries in the universe the incarnation of Christ and the Trinity. We see the Trinity here in the mention of the Holy Spirit, the Most High, that's the Father, and then, of course, the Son of God. So we see all three persons of the Trinity revealed for us here in this moment. But we also see the powerful truth of the incarnation in what was going to take place in the life and, yes, in the body. Of Mary. Now, on Wednesday night, last Wednesday, Tim did a fantastic job teaching on the incarnation. And if you missed it, I'm sorry, we didn't record it. Uh, but it was really great. And he did a full study on it, and we're not going to go too far in it today. But I do want for you to notice here that Gabriel was careful to point out to Mary that the baby that was going to be born, it says he called it a holy thing. Did you see that there? Holy thing. So, what does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be holy? It means to be perfect. It means to be fully righteous. It means to be sinless. And so what we understand is that the baby that was to be born would not and could not share the sinful characteristics of, uh, a sinful character nature of man that would be inherited and passed down through the human birth experience. In Romans chapter five, verse 12, it says, wherefore, as by one man, who is that one man? That's Adam. By one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sin. Now, you know that verse very well, but it's very important when it comes to this doctrine of the incarnation and understanding what is taking place here. See, he says in this verse that there is a holy thing that is going to be born, and that means that it's not going to have any sin nature at all whatsoever. Jesus would have no sin nature. Now, this is important to us, and this is why the virgin birth is so important to the doctrine of salvation and to who we are as believers. It is necessary for the deity of Christ, and I got to tell you, church, it is necessary for the hope of our salvation. It's so important this is what the, one of the biggest aspects of Christmas that we've got to understand how important it is to our salvation. Because if Jesus is going to be God, and Jesus is God, then he cannot have sin, right? If he's God, he cannot have sin. Because if he had sin, if, God, if Jesus was just another man like, like you and I, and he had a sin nature, then when he died on the cross for our sins, it would just be another sinful man dying for another sinful person, Right? which would be nothing. It would mean nothing. It would do nothing. As much as it would, if, if, and if I wanted to, if I said, hey, uh, I just want to take the penalty of all your sins, and I'm going to jump off the portman next week. Everybody come and watch. You know, I'm going to take care of all your sins. Don't worry. No, it's worthless. It's nothing. And so for it to mean something, Jesus had to be Sinless, and the virgin birth made it possible for a baby to be born without a sin nature. And it made it possible for Jesus to be fully man and fully God, the hypostatic union, and be able to pay the eternal penalty for our sins. Listen, Jesus knew no sin, he did no sin, and he had no sin. First John chapter 3, verse 5 tells us, you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So you're saying, how did this happen then? How did this happen? Well, what we understand from other scripture, we'll get there in just a moment in Hebrews chapter 10, but Jesus' body was prepared for him by God the Father and the Spirit of God. And this prepared child was placed directly into the womb by the Holy Spirit. Notice when it says, when, when it says that the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary, uh, don't, don't follow the false Islamic doctrine, there's a false Islamic doctrine that teaches that there was some sort of thing that happened between the Holy Spirit or the angel and Mary, okay? That is, not, that is not true. That is false, okay? That's slanderous, honestly. It's blasphemous. What is happening here is like we see in the book of Genesis where we saw the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters, right? We see that God can actually move nature, by the way, who he created, right? Okay, he created us, and the Holy Spirit placed this body, this all ready to go in the womb of Mary. Now that's amazing. It's the miracle of creation. Hebrews chapter 10, in quoting Jesus, okay? Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, that's Jesus. Jesus said this, sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body thou hast prepared me. He's speaking back to what is happening. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God, A body was prepared and supernaturally placed by the creator to be birthed by Mary without that natural sin passing on down process. When the power of the highest overshadowed Mary, it's the same term that's used uh, when the spirit and the cloud would come over the holy of holies in the tabernacle and in the temple. In essence, Mary's womb became a holy of holies for the savior. Whoa. Some of you, I can see your minds are like but it's so important. It's so important that we understand this. This is what allowed Jesus to be fully man and also fully God, the perfect savior, the perfect sacrifice that was needed for our sins. He needed to be God to supply the righteousness that humans could not achieve. He needed to be man to supply uh, to God the sacrifice that we owe And so he became that perfect mediator, as scripture teaches us, the mediator between God and man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he is the only way that we could ever hope to achieve heaven and the only way that we could ever hope to be with God for eternity. And it's through Jesus. And the way that we can say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, is because of this very truth that we're talking about here, the fact that he was perfect and sinless and righteous and holy. And God made this happen. God made this happen. Don't let anybody deter you from this. Don't get too intimidated. Listen, we don't have to stumble, church, or feel insecure over the doctrine of the virgin birth. We don't have to feel uh, worried about uh, someone not understanding. By the way, can you and I really understand this? I mean, can we really? I mean, come on. How can we with, uh, <laughs> with finite minds understand an infinite God? But here's what I do know. He created man out of the dust of the earth, and he can most certainly do what he said he did, okay? And so we believe that, and we know that, and it's so, so important. In verse 36, I think the angel probably saw Mary starting to kind of freak out a little bit, you know? You ever talk to somebody, giving them some news, and you just tell they're just getting a little uncomfortable? (laughs) Oh, man. And behold, he throws this in here, by the way. Behold thy cousin Elizabeth. Remember your old cousin? (laughs) Man, she's super old. She had also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her. Remember, this was six months later. Obviously, news didn't travel very fast, right? This is the, they lived 150 kilometers away. It might as well have been a lifetime away. You probably saw each other maybe once or twice. He says, the one who is called barren, who is empty, she is also pregnant with a child. And then verse 37, he throws this in there, for with God, nothing shall be impossible nothing shall be impossible. To me, it's like the angel uh, sensed the fear and the wonder of Mary, and so to encourage her, he says, oh, by the way, your old cousin's gonna have a baby as well. I don't know if that helped or not, honestly. I don't know if, I don't know if she was like, this isn't really helping me much. This is getting a little bit crazier. I'm gonna have a baby, and my old cousin, I mean, have you met my cousin Zacharias? That guy's archaic, you know? How are they gonna have a kid? I don't know if this is helping me, but he throws it in there, and then right at the end, he says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. I love that. He follows up, listen, church, the moment you admit the existence of God, you must deny the impossible. The moment that you as an individual place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you're like, God is real, I trust him, then you have to get rid of the idea of impossibilities. And I love that about this passage here. Two major situations that are happening here, whether it's an elderly, barren woman or a virgin, they both could conceive. And that's kind of how God works, isn't it? He does the impossible. With everything that was happening in this moment, I believe God wanted Mary to be reminded that with him, nothing is impossible. You know, throughout the history pages and the pages of scripture, and even I know my own life and the life of our church, it's a testimony to the fact that God does the impossible. God does the impossible. Think about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. Think about Moses and Israel, the parting of the Red Sea. Thinking about uh, Joseph, uh, who went from slave to ruler, and Job, and Jeremiah, and Nehemiah, Jonah. Think of all the miracles of Jesus in the New Testament, of uh, the ministry of the Apostle Paul. I was thinking this week just of the miracles that God has done in our own church family. Have you ever taken time to do that and just sit back and say, you know, Man, let me me think about some miracles. Let me think about the impossible that God has done. You remember that moment in your life where you felt like your world was falling apart and nothing is going to work ever again and everything is over and I mean, I might as well just end it all right now. And yet you're here today. And that's a testimony of God doing the impossible, of doing a miracle. Just the fact that some of you are alive today is a miracle, it's a testimony of God doing the impossible. The fact that some of you are sitting in a church, it's a very comfortable seat, but you're sitting in a comfortable seat uh, in church in December, compared to your life before Christ, it is impossibility and it is a miracle. And to your saved family and friends who prayed for you to be saved for all of those years, it is a miracle that you are in church today, that you are growing. And so I want to remind us that while you may not experience something like Mary here, we do see the impossible, and we, see, do, we do see God do amazing things in our lives, even today in 2022. And so when you think about those hopeless things in your life, those relationships that need to be restored, the families that need to be put back together, the disasters that are out there, the financial trouble, all of these aspects of our life that we struggle with, listen, I want to tell you, with God, it's not impossible. And Siri just heard me saying that, and thank you for that. Sorry, I don't know if you heard that. That was weird. She said, I don't believe in the impossible. I'm just joking. She probably doesn't. (laughs) The moment you admit the existence of God, you must deny the impossible. This would have been a lot for Mary. (laughs) I can imagine how I would have responded in that situation. First of all, you know, I'm not a woman, God, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure I'd be out of the equation for that. But imagine how you would have responded. In that situation. And this is where our focus on the responses really comes in. And I want you to notice here take just a few moments as we move in and see a very humble faith. So there's this unexpected announcement. There's this big question mark. An answer is given in direct response to her question. And now we see a humble faith. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Her response to this incredible message is a response of humble faith. That's simply what it is. It is faith. She had experienced the grace of God. She believed the word of God. And now we see her making this expression of faith which reveals to us that she could be then used by the spirit of God to complete and fulfill the will of God. Notice how she says, behold, she says, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. A handmaid was the lowest servant of the day. I mean, the lowest of the low. And she says here, I am, I'm the lowest of the low. I'm the handmaid of the Lord. I am here to serve God in whatever capacity, no matter how crazy that capacity is, I'm here to serve in this way. She's demonstrating to God her desire which is that she is simply God's servant. She's willing to follow him even if it seems impossible and she doesn't understand. You know, I was thinking about it this week. It sounds a lot like Isaiah when he said, "Hear my, send me. Sounds a lot like Esther when she said, if I perish, I perish. To me, she's reflecting when Ruth said to Naomi, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. When Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will, but thine be done. Listen, this is how faithful people respond to God's word. This is how Christians respond to God's plan. Even when you don't understand it, even when you can't figure it all out, this is how a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ responds. And Mary is essentially saying, just as you said it, Lord, I'm willing for it to be done in my life. Exactly how you said it. She didn't say, hey, uh, I'm all in, but could we maybe wait until uh, the marriage is kind of finalized so I don't have any issues you know, with the family and all of that? No, there's no qualifications here. However you said it, God, I'm good. I'm in. This speaks so loudly of her faith. You know, the only way that a person can genuinely say what Mary is saying here is simply to believe that God's plan for us is better than our plans for ourselves. God's plans for us are better than our plans for ourselves. And so when Mary here responds in faith, she's of course is expected or facing a lot of different difficulties. There's a potential of public shaming, uh, the prospect of divorce, a broken betrothal, uh, the idea of maybe never marrying. For her, it's like wearing that, you know, that scarlet letter in her day, be forced from her home and family. She would be destitute. She would face the same prospect that uh, a woman maybe would face today when an unfaithful man just completely abandons her and walks away. Yet, even though this was a possibility, even though this was her, her possible future, what we see is she simply says, whatever your will is for me, let it be done. Let it be done. Here's what I want us to get this morning. Like Mary, you can't truly be a servant of Christ unless you're willing to accept his plan for your life. Unless you're willing to say, God, whatever it is that you have for me, even though it doesn't fit my plans, even doesn't fit what I think I should do, I'm still gonna follow you. If he is Lord, then we are servants, joyful, glad servants of God, knowing that his plans for us are better than anything we could come up with on our own. See, this is how faith replies to grace. This is how faith responds to grace. When God promises you a savior, you say, hey, let me have him, (laughs) let me have all of him. And when God announces his plan for your life, you say, all right, I'm in, I'm ready to go. Whatever it is that you have for me, God, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna obey, I'm gonna trust, I'm gonna follow you. I'm not gonna try to you know, uh, manipulate the situation. This is how a person of faith responds to God's grace in their life. So I wonder, how do you respond to God's grace in your life? Do you respond with skepticism? Do you respond with frustration? Or do you simply accept by faith and say, all right, God, if this is what you have for me, if this is what you have for me, I'm good with it. I'm okay. Don't you love it? Maybe you have people in your life who are up for anything. Don't you love that? You know, it doesn't matter. You can send them a text at one in the morning and be like, I just feel the need for some pho. And they're like, I'm in, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> then it's like, okay, what's open? Okay. I, you know, people who are, they're up for anything. I'm not one of those people, by the way, just so you know, so no text me at 1 a.m., <laughs> I'm probably asleep. Especially if you want to go skydiving, I'm out. I'm not in. I don't know why people like to ask me to do that. It's not gonna happen. But I love it. I love to have people like that in my life that are, that are all in. And this is what God desires from us, that we would be servants of his that not only realize we're a servant, but whatever he speaks, we say, God, we are all in, we're ready to do it. Is your heart and your attitude towards God like Mary this morning? It's a perfect example for us as believers. And so we must develop a heart of hum- humility to God's word, to His voice, and to His Spirit. And I believe this, church, that when we have that posture of Mary, when we have that humble, that open, that open posture of just like God, whatever it is, I'm, I'm in. I'm your servant. I am the. Lo- I will do whatever you want me to do, God. I promise you. That's when often we begin to respond and actually see God's grace in our life far more clearly than we would have ever before but you have to get yourself to that place and you can do it that's what's so great you can do it through the power of the holy spirit in your own life you can you can experience life and see god in this way not because you are special not because you are special at all but because we serve a god who specializes in doing the impossible things and he does it through his people he does it through his people And in his love and grace for you, he wants to use you for his glory. This is what this story is. This is a story of grace. God's grace to humanity and God's grace to an individual. So do you respond by faith? Are you a person of faith? How do you respond to the Savior? If you're not a person of faith, if you're not a Christian today, how are you going to respond to the gift of grace that is extended to you? See, the big aspect of this story is that this baby that came came for the sins of the whole world. He came for the express purpose of dying on the cross. I mean, here on the stage, we have the perfect pictures here. We have the manger of his arrival and we have the cross of his death. And those two go together so beautifully. One of them, both of them, weren't exactly perfect situations. The cross, definitely not. But he came for a reason and it was to die for your sins and for mine. And he's offering it as a gift to you. It's grace, it's undeserved. There's nothing you can do to earn this. And he's not asking you to earn it. He's simply saying, would you accept my gift of salvation? And if you're not saved today, my call to you and my challenge to you is would you accept Jesus today? Would you accept him as your Lord and Savior? Would you turn in faith? Would you repent of your sin and turn in faith to him and to him alone? I'd be happy to talk with you about that today and help you know for sure that heaven is going to be your home. But for those of us that are Christians, how do you respond in faith? to God's work in your life. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. We hope that you were encouraged by the message today and we would love to hear how God has worked in your life. If you'd like to take the time to visit our website and send us a message through the contact page, we would really appreciate it. Have a blessed day.